can demons still possess? Often do we know when we're faced with a difficult situation in life and we know it's time to seek the sand from our sandals and move on. We're going to have a conversation about a variety of things today and we're going to have a fun time with it. So thank you for joining us. We've got three different segments we're going to be going to and we'll wrap things up with a conversation about demons and possession. So there's a nice tease for you to hang around to the end. So thank you for joining us. We hope you're having a wonderful day. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. There are a few others here with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And the first topic we're going to discuss today is going to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to have this question of... What do we do whenever we're faced with a difficult situation and we know that there are times when we have to shake the sand from our feet and move on, but in the church we're always kind of plagued by this question. We, we don't want to be someone who's leaving behind non-believers and we don't want to be someone who's condemning, so we kind of have this weird place in life where we don't know just how we make those decisions. So today we're going to have a conversation with, hopes, with the hopes of giving you some guidance on when do you actually say it's time to move on. Again, there's only so much time in this life, and Jesus teaches us to be good stewards, not just of our money, but also of our time. And there are times when we have to shake the sand and move on. So let's actually begin by reading the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 10. Anthony, would you like to read our scripture today? Matthew 10, verses 5 through 15. And this will be coming from the NRSV. Matthew 10, verses 5 through 15. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go. Nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy, and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Alrighty. So as we come to this text, it does remind us that there certainly is a time when we must shake the sand from our feet and move along. Now there's some interesting things that Jesus points out in this. This is something which is very contingent on a short duration of time. This is why they're told, don't take a lot of resources with you, don't plan on working, don't plan on doing anything which is going to keep you there for a long time. This is a quick evangelistic time where they're taking and they're going on a journey and they have to realize that time is something which is precious. And one of the things that they're told is you're going to stay with people who are worthy and if a house is not worthy then let your peace return to you and then move on to the next place. So Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts when you hear this and it talks about if someone is not worthy, what really is that text teaching us about there when we find that? Well, I think, yeah, it, at first it's kind of difficult because when we think about who's worthy of hearing or listening to the gospel, it does put us kind of in an odd place 
Um, but I think putting it in the context that Jesus is sending the disciples to the people of Israel, he even says to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that these are people who have been waiting kind of for this culmination of all the prophets, of the kings, of the Psalms, of, of the law that has been given to them. And so when Jesus says that if someone is worthy, you let your peace rest on them, it's really then like your presence, your ability to stay and to teach and to educate them, um, th- then their, their worth is almost set up and established by their willingness to listen. And that, again, the, that language of worthy, I think, is so can be so problematic because we see that used today a lot of times as a way to manipulate or oppress other people. But Jesus isn't talking about who's worthy in the sense of, Um, who's allowed to hear the gospel because obviously Jesus came for everyone to hear the gospel but he's really saying by your actions and your response to the gospel um, obviously will then um, influence how you respond or how the rest of that story kind of continues on how much of the the story of how much of the education how much of that interaction with the disciples you'll get because of your response to it. Yeah and I think you've hit on something this was people within the house of Israel They were people who, as you said, they were waiting on the Messiah. And really, we do find the answer to that question of who is worthy is those who are willing to listen and receive the message of Christ Jesus. Those who are willing to receive what they have been waiting for. So this isn't just people who are out there, random strangers, who aren't even really knowing that they're waiting for a Messiah. This isn't people who have never heard either. This is people who have been waiting anticipating this and now that they have heard it they have chose to reject it those are the ones who are deemed unworthy and that's sounds kind of brutal but that's what the the text is telling us and pastor mike coming now to you we look at this and one of the things which it is important for us to know is whenever you're faced with a situation like this again if you're having to weigh this question of when to shake the sand from your sandals and move on it's not because of an easy situation I mean, let's just be honest here. These usually happen when you've been investing in someone. You've got a, a avenue. You're trying to get things to go. You're working with someone. Maybe you're all working together on a project and you're thinking you're going to have to give it up. You're working with other people and you're trying to get some cohesion, but something is giving you difficulty. There's always a great investment which comes in these things. And one of the things that we really have to remember is you're really only able to make that decision to shake your sandals and move on after you've started to make some sort of investment. You can't just come in and make a decision on the front end that says, I'm not even going to try that. I'm not going to share the gospel with those people. This is about people who have already heard. There's already been that investment, but they've chose not to hear. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on this and the fact that you can't really judge ahead of time how people are going to react, but you have to really make that investment? Well, I think uh, the key to this verse uh, or this passage really is, is uh, you know, is the payment. Take no gold, no silver, no copper, um, uh, you know, uh, tunics and, and things. Don't take anything extra, but you are bringing something exceedingly valuable, and that is the good news, the gospel. Uh, but it's also your time. And so this worthy, you know, what is worthy of the time and the good news that there are many that want to receive. And so I think there is is a, a place of saying, you know, what I what you're taking is extremely valuable and don't squander it there. So I, I don't know if I, if you're going to invest somewhere, there's only a certain amount of time that we have on this, um, you know, on, on the face of the earth. So it's important before um, eternal life, um, you know, after this life and we, you know, while we die, 
and, and eternal life begins, you know, that that's too late. So we have to do it now, and it's extremely valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Pastor Anthony, what are your thoughts on this? The fact that Jesus, again, he's not writing and not speaking to Gentiles who are not anticipating Messiah, but he's talking about people who are within the house of Israel. And we typically find that the greatest opposition Jesus faces are people inside the house of Israel. What are your thoughts on that? Do we think that that's still a possibility for happening in the church today? People inside the church who should be looking for Christian teaching, but they're actually kind of resistant to it. What are your, your thoughts on all of that? I think that's uh, <clears throat> I think that's absolutely possible. Um, it is kind of funny a lot of times in our churches and stuff, we look back and we read about, about stories where uh, the Jews turn away and the Jews are um, hard-headed and other things like that. And we're like, man, what a stupid group of people. Which is so funny because we have absolutely no awareness. <laughs> um, we so frequently... Uh, do exactly the same thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of times we should relate with the plea of the Jews. Um, it is a hard thing. You know, uh, Christ's yoke is uh, easy to carry, but also um, it's, a hard, it's a hard yoke to accept because we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change us in ways that we really didn't think, we didn't expect. Uh, a lot of people didn't expect Christ as the Messiah to come as he came. A lot of people expected, you know, a political military leader, not a leader who would suffer a death on the cross and then lead it, lead us into the resurrection. And so um, in a lot of ways, very, very frequently, uh, we can be like those who were in the house of Israel. Sure. And one of the takeaways that we have from this, and just to kind of put a cap on this segment before we move on to our next scripture, we do find that there are times in life when really we do have to shake the sand from our feet and move on. Now this happens after we have made an investment and we see that the people who should be looking to move to God, they, they usually have made a confession that they want that, but then in further pursuit they've said, well, no, we really don't want it if it looks like this. We want the Messiah, but if it looks like Christ Jesus, if it looks like all of this transformation and sanctification moving out of sin, we're, we're really not like that. We'll, we'll wait around for another one. You know, that's when you, you realize it's time to shake the sand from, from your feet and move on. Well, with that, we're going to wrap this up and we're going to move to our next segment. So we'll be back here in a few seconds to talk about Second Chronicles chapter 24. So stick with us. All right. Really the theme we have on our whole program is when things in life get complicated, we have different responses to them. Whenever dealing with evil, when dealing with injustices, whenever dealing with demonic oppression, there are times where we look to God and we ask, what do we do next? How do we respond to these? Well, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and we're going to look at something which was a terrible crime committed against a priest. And this is an interesting story, and it leaves us with the question of how does God bring justice and how does God bring vindication for people who have experienced things which are pretty wicked. So let's go ahead and read out of 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 17 through 22, and I'm going to read this one myself. And it reads as follows. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and did obscience to the king, and the king listened to them. Now, that verse has some interesting things in there which we need some further explanation. 
There's a king named Joash who is, has a good friend, the priest Jehoiada. And now both of them are fairly godly and upstanding. But when the priest Jehoiada died, there were some other people in Judah, some people of power and influence that came to the king and they pay him homage. And they're coming to beg the king to stop worshiping the Lord. That's really what's happening. So you've got a pretty good king. He's doing some righteous things. He's got a priest that's his friend. They're kind of worshiping God. They're doing some honorable things. But after that priest dies, some corrupt people come to beg the king. And the king listened. Verse 18. They abandoned the house of the Lord and the God of their ancestors, and they served up the sacred poles and the idols. And then wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Verse 20, Then the Spirit of the Lord, uh, the Spirit of God, took possession of Zechariah, son of the priest Jehoiada. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? But you have forsaken the Lord, and he has also forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and commanded by the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. King Joash did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, and instead killed his son. And as he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. So in this story, we get some fascinating things happen. Again, there was a good king which are kind of rare, and then there's a good priest, they're friends, they're worshiping God, they're doing some honorable things, and there's some good things going on in the kingdom. And after that priest dies, the kind of rats of the world, they come to beg the king. And we should never think that we're exempt from this. There are always people who are going to want to do this, and they usually think they're doing things that are good. They think that they're moving things in a more modern direction. They say, oh, we're, we're progressing towards a new future, but they're really coming to take people away from the Lord. And they come and they beg this king, and they conspire against the prophet. And what's fascinating about this priest, who is also being a prophet now, is that he tells them, he says, you forsake, you've forsaken the Lord, and now prosperity has forsaken you. You know, why did you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? He's actually trying to help them, but they do not want this help. They're totally opposed to it. They conspire against it, and they kill him. And his final words are, may the Lord see and avenge. We read a story like this, and for those who are here local, we actually did a mystery night on this where we acted this out, and we kind of had people step into the role, and in, it's like a live game of Clue, and in the end, all the guilty suspects were, were guilty. You know, everyone done it. It was like the book from Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express. Everybody's guilty. And what we find happening here is people conspire against the righteous and they kind of do it. They kind of take a little bit of joy in doing it. They just want it out of the way so they can live as they are. So let's have a discussion on this because we read this and even though we can take and turn this into a game of clue, we really do want to see the Lord avenge things like this. We want to see God's wisdom come. We want to see the justice of God come and bring vindication here. And that's a place where it really leaves us wanting that when we see things like this. Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts on this story as we read it? Well, I, th I think um, initially, like we hear what, what Zachariah and other prophets are saying uh, to the people. And prophets really do act as kind of the common sense filters for the people of God. 
um, you know, we often kind of depict them as seeing the future or something like that. And that's really not what, what a prophet or someone who's being prophetic does. They're not predicting the future. They're really just saying, if you go play out in traffic, you're going to get hit by a car. Um, and this is what Zachariah basically does, and he gets stoned for it. And I think it's quite fascinating also, like you said, that uh, the last verses uh, that Zachariah says is, may the Lord see an avenge. And we do want... Uh, Avengers. We want revenge. We want vindication for the unjust things that happen in our world. And really, a couple verses after this, Joash himself will be assassinated. And it's not so much that God is sitting up in heaven re- with lightning bolts ready to smite uh, the unworthy and, you know, the sinner, but it really is common sense that if you live a life of destruction and death and backstabbing, eventually that's going to come back upon you and you're going to find yourself betrayed and stabbed in the back. Yeah, and we look at this, and there is an element of common sense, which is in the prophetic message. If you keep the commandments of the Lord, you will prosper. When you forsake the commandments, then prosperity, it kind of leaves you. And you're kind of stuck in this place where you're surrounded by all this corruption because you were sowing the seeds of corruption. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts when you come to this and you find this conspiracy against the, the prophet? Is that something which is unique to history, or is that something which still happens today? Well, no, it's it's not unique to history. It's it's something that's going on constantly. I think it's important to realize this is the people of God. Uh, it's not like uh, you know these are um, people outside uh, the the faith. These are people inside the faith that are committing an, uh, idolatry, and no no doubt there are people of God today that are involved in idolatry. Now they may not have um, the exact name of their idol on the wall hanging but they'll they'll there's things that people worship um, and you know I, to be honest there are people who can worship eternal life uh, as, as their God uh, as opposed to Christ Jesus who brings eternal life there is a difference well, and so idolatry is is very much and when you confront that thing you can you can expect um, perhaps not real stones, but uh, words and whatever, you know, what's the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah. Uh, well, words will hurt too, and they will throw those. Yeah, I think <laughs> the, the biggest form of idolatry that's in the church right now is that of identity. We've seen that go on for a long time now. And it really is tragic to see idolaters come. And Pastor Mike, I want to ask you this before we... I go on to Anthony. Do you think those in this story, if they were asked if they were idolaters, again, they've got their Asherah poles, they've got their little shrines to Baal going on, do you think they would have consciously thought they were idolaters, or do you think that they just thought that they were the next stage of, of the kingdom of Israel? I think Judah? they would have looked around at all of, of the cultures and different you know, um, pagans around them and said this is perfectly natural for people to to have more than one god and that um, the mm. the new is coming and so technically there would they, i mean they knew they were getting involved in other gods and idolatry but i think they would justify it yeah i think that is pretty much the case anthony as we we start to to wrap up this scripture before we go back to the gospel of matthew and talk about demons when people, they do have idolatry in their lives, they do tend to justify it. But let me ask you this, because God doesn't want to leave us in a place just where we're bickering about idolatry. God wants us to move away from that. 
He wants us to move back towards him. And we find in this text, Joash does, the, the king does eventually get killed. But what really is the best thing to happen for the house of, of Israel after this? You know, what does, how does that prophet's request really get fulfilled, that the Lord sees an avenge? Is it just in killing Joash? What really needs to happen for the Lord to see this and his visitation of justice to, to take, take form? Well, um, I've got to admit, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I am reminded very constantly by what the um, brother of that man who got killed by a cop in his own home said to the cop. And he said, if you go to God, this God is with will Amber Geiger. You. Yeah, with Amber uh, Brant Geiger. Brant Jean was his name. Yeah. Um, so Brant Jean is the guy who's speaking or the brother? The, the brother that died was um, Botham. Okay. So Brant said to uh, Amber Geiger, the one who killed his brother, if you go to God, God will forgive you. And um, I think that's a really beautiful uh, way to communicate about God's grace that a lot of times I feel like it gets like, you know, like it, it, it's easy to sound like you're finger pointing and things like that. But this is the invitation that the prophets bring to the people of God. You know, there isn't a, there is certainly a time to make accusations. There's a there's a time to confess and to recognize what's going on. But then the prophets always end on the note that if you go to God, he will forgive you. Yeah. And, uh, well, they killed Zechariah, so Zechariah doesn't get the opportunity to say that. <laughs> yeah. But um, if the right thing for Israel to do is to go to God and God will forgive them. And, and they kill him in the court of the house of the Lord. So they, they don't just do this like on a random place far away where they're like, well, let's get him out in the woods and we'll kill him at night. No, they do this in the court of the house of the Lord. But deep within the message that this priest now turned into a little bit of a prophet, he comes and he says, if you, again, thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? And what he is saying there is if you live by what he told you to do, you will find prosperity. That the blessing that, that God wants to give you, he really does want to give you. And that, that really is that turning point that the prophet is coming with. And yet people, they hear it and they say, I think I like my idols. I think I like my, my you know, Asherah poles. I like going over here and doing a little service to Baal on the side. You know, if we've got to slip some over to Molech, we'll do that if we need to. You know, that, that's really how people tend to be. They really don't like it when a prophet confronts them. They want to just get the prophet gone. And the sad thing is, is that in Zechariah's appeal, uh, it's not a um, dogmatic, opinionated, just like arbitrary you guys aren't doing what I want you to do. He's trying to con convince them to do what is going to be better for themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll be back here in a few moments to talk about demons. We're going to get back to that main, that title question we have there. Do demons still possess? And that one's going to be a little bit more interesting. All right, we are back together. Do demons still possess people? And we're going to be going to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 10, but this is a big question that we have. 
We put out a survey here recently and asking people what topics weighed on their mind. And one of the ones that people were actually interested in is the question of demonic possession. Now, when you actually go to scripture, this one is pretty interesting because you go to the Old Testament and the whole idea of demons, demonology, things like that are fairly mute when it comes to the Old Testament. The Old Testament's pretty shy on this issue. It doesn't spend a long time talking about this. And when you go to the New Testament, you find there concentrated in the Gospels a whole lot of conversation about this. So this isn't just something which is, you know, going on throughout the whole history of the people of God. It actually is something which you look at the entire course of Scripture, you hear a lot of conversation about exorcisms, casting out spirits, spirits taking possession, centered right there around the Gospel and even moving into the book of Acts. And then as you get towards things like Revelation, well, then you just get interesting imagery that if anybody tells you exactly what all this stuff looks like, they're probably somebody who's a little bit fraudulent trying to get you to buy a book or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But the New Testament talks about this pretty frequently, even though it's something which is largely missing from the, the conversation of the Old Testament. But nonetheless, it is a very important topic, and it is one that still has merit in our world today. So let's go ahead and read from the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 30. And Anthony, before you read this, I just want to give some structure around this scripture. Jesus opens up saying, have no fear of them. And this comes not long after he has exercised some demons, but he's not talking about the demons when he says them. He is talking about the people who persecute you for Christ's sake. However, he does not stop there. He goes further on to talk about the forces of evil that come to separate your soul for all eternity. So, Anthony, if you would read for us Matthew 10, 26 through 30. Matthew 10, 26 through 30. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret will become and nothing secret will not become known. But I say to you in the dark, Tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are, you not, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them would fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Alrighty, I don't know if Amanda has always found <laughs> this particular passage revelatory to her. With, no. um, did y'all ever do anything like that as kids when there was a whole triplet <laughs> trio <laughs> there of y'all together? The Lord more valuable than, than many, many sparrows. sparrows. Yeah, that is a little insulting. No, yeah. The whole whole family gathering. No, we just sang them that his eye is on the sparrow a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. Um, so we come to this text and Jesus is telling us, Evil things, they can come for you. So before we even get to the question of demons, I want to address this kind of mis misnomer we get in Christianity where evil is something that is so far detached. It's kind of the dark parallel of God. But if you have the name of God on you, evil can't even come to touch you. One of the lessons that we get from this scripture is that evil can come for you. It can even kill the body. Like that's a pretty bold and scary thing to see. Like you read this scripture and it sounds so brutal, but then when you look at history, you see so many times innocent people have been killed. 
You see wicked tyrants who have come and killed masters. You see times where they were taking the, the large amounts of children and killing them. You see there with Herod in the time of Jesus. You see there again in the wilderness with Moses when he's put into that, that basket and sent away from his mother. That was done because they were killing all the other babies, throwing them into the, to the Nile. You find all these times where innocent, again, clearly innocent, like little babies are being killed. And we were reminded that evil can kill the body. You even see things like the book of Job where Satan, the accuser, he comes asking for the body. You find all these things going on and evil can take the body, but what our scripture teaches us, it says it cannot kill the soul. However, that does not mean that your soul cannot be carried away and given over to the forces of evil. One of the other lessons that we find just in basic Orthodox Christianity and taught all throughout the Gospels is that your heart has to make a decision to receive Christ Jesus. Again, this goes back to our first conversation about who is worthy. You know, Christ doesn't say just go and sit with anybody who will, who will have you. Stay with those who will listen and receive your message. Whenever people do not receive the message of Christ, their heart and their very soul is still in a place where it's not really armed against evil. And if you do not be careful and your soul is given over to evil, which it can do that, you can give your soul over to evil. We kind of live in a day and age where people live without any threat of the devil or, or hell. And, you know, people start to think that their souls are invincible, that nothing could ever happen to separate me from God. But the truth is things can happen to your soul to separate it from God for eternity. And that's a very, very disturbing thing. So we must give our soul over to God and protect it from the forces of evil because there are things which can separate us. But when it comes now to the question of demons, if someone asks the question, can demons still possess? Personally, my answer is immediately yes, they can. But then I'm going to follow that up but say they don't really have to because people can be possessed by a lot of other things. You know, in the time of Jesus, the people of God, they were kind of cut off from what they thought they should be. They, they were now living in the Roman world. They weren't really an established kingdom. They were kind of obsessed with looking for a Messiah, but they didn't really know what that would look like. Hence, they're surprised when Jesus is who Jesus is. But at the same time, we find them in a position where all this demonic activity is going on and Jesus comes to exercise them from that. But this isn't the only thing that Jesus is liberating people from. There are a lot of things that can possess people. People can be possessed by political ideology. They can be possessed by their own desires. They can be possessed by all sorts of things in life. And we should never let our guard down to think that we cannot be possessed by something. You look throughout the 20th century, you see a lot of horrible things being committed. You wonder how could people go along with it? Well, people get possessed by ideology and they're willing to do terrible things. And evil is very, very good at convincing you to do this. So, Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts on this, that, that evil, it can actually kill the body, mm-hmm. and it can convince you to, to do things that are evil, but it tricks you into thinking that they're good. Well, and I think that's kind of a good word for it, is tricking. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about some other things that are happening in our areas, and you said, well, you know, evil and isn't somebody in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, and it's we often look for evil in that way, and we're waiting and anticipating our, our battle against demons to be, you know, the kids or the head spinning, you know, spilling out pea soup. And, and we realize that very uh, rarely does evil, st- well, evil doesn't ever start that way. And very rarely does it ever get to that extent um, in kind of the day to day life of, of most people. 
it, it's very subtle things that does eventually come to quite quite clamp to quite dangerous things and, and bigger things but it, it's um evil can work its way into the small things and, and like you're talking about ideologies and, and you know we think kind of the greatest uh, evil that has happened probably in the last hundred years we think of the holocaust and uh, the people in Germany, it's not like everyone, and there were some truly, obviously, very truly evil people who knew exactly what they were doing and wanted to do it. But the majority of people just either they didn't understand what was going on or they had been so coddled into this sense of apathy and for some of them into fear because they knew if they rose up against it that it would be also their life on the line. And so th those things happen and it do, they do happen so subtly. Sometimes we kind of you know, we're just like, oh no, wait, how did we get to where we are? Yeah. And we try to figure out like, do we panic now? Do we, uh, do we wait to panic later when it gets worse? We're not sure. But I think really the other thing that, that in this passage, I think that gives us hope is where it ends on this conversation about the sparrows. And, you know, it says that not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father is, you know, whether you are faced with great obvious evils that will kill the body, that will destroy homes and lives, or whether they are the subtle things of life that your God is journeying with you and that there's kind of this hope and peace that comes, but you have to be attentive. You have to be listening. You have to be in tune with the spirit, with God, that if you're trying to figure out, is this something that can lead down a bad path or not? That's, that's something you have to then be in a relationship with God to, to understand, to judge rightly about. Um, but yeah, it, it can be difficult. And, and I think also, in this passage, we, we hear a little bit of some prediction that's happening with not only Jesus's um, persecution and ultimate death, but also the disciples and the apostles who come after them. Um, they are looking down a road that's leading to, you know, all but John will be martyred. Um, and so Jesus is even here giving them hope that there's something more important that we're aiming towards. And it is not to, that we should not kind of give up on these temporal things or you know not give up on the sake of the cross because of temporal um discomforts but we persevere because we know that there is an eternal reward that that far outweighs um what we face today sure and even looking back at zachariah that priest who is in that prophetic role when he dies he asks for the lord to vindicate him and as we know god he knows the hairs on the head he cares for each and every sparrow and when one asks for that vindication, God does hear it. One does not fall apart from the Father. One does not fall without the Father knowing of it. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Well, <clears throat> I think for sure that, you know, I think you have to look at the word of possession and understand, you know, we kind of hear that word, and, you know, especially when it's uh, connected with demon or demonology. It's, it's you know, it's strange but we use the word possession uh, often it's translated as have to hold um, so you know we possess something in our hand and so I think uh, the key to this passage is is for us to give ourselves completely to God and let God possess us have us hold us um, we God we're he is our he owns us so to speak and when you we are filled with God uh, and godly desires and living in the kingdom of God, then that leaves no room for evil to hold us uh, or to take power over us. But I think that is extremely critical to this passage is for, for 
for us to be held by God, be possessed by God, rather than the demon, because the, it, demon possession is real, and it does come in subtle ways. Yeah, it absolutely does. Pastor Anthony, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, didn't have anything that was extremely unique from anything that Pastor Amanda or Pastor Mike said. Um, I tend to agree with them. Uh, I do think that the idea that we can be possessed by more than demons is a very valuable one and one that we should uh, seriously consider. And I think that working out how to be a light for those that we think are possessed by their ideas and by other religions and by their idolatries is an important question for the Christian also. Um, we're each uh, potentially uh, victims of ourselves in that. So that's something that uh, we have to wa be watchful for. But whenever it comes to other people, which is going to be a lot easier to identify, um, we have to remember that I say this all the time, but people are not inherently first reasonable creatures. We're inherently first religious creatures. And I think um, John C. Maxwell writes something that's pretty wise, that people don't adopt values. They follow a leader, and then they follow his values and adopt his values or her values. And I think there's a very similar process in the way people choose uh, their religious motivations. They have their God, and they wonder, who is this God's prophet? And once they know the prophet, then they know they know the message and the words from that God. And so um, part of how we can help people who we think are being possessed in by various things, whether it be a demon, an ideology, another religion, idolatry, whatever, um, even if it's just fleshly desires and addictions and that sort of thing, more often than not, what's going to win people over isn't going to be your reasonable account of uh, the Christian faith delivered to them in a, in a nice, like, eight-page MLA format essay. It's going to be uh, the way that you live your life and the testimony that you, that you uh, live in uh, what you do every day. You know, one of the things which is interesting is people really are much more religious than they give themselves credit for. Like, we live in a day and age where a lot of people don't think they're religious at all, but yet they, they are. And, Anthony, you talk about how people, they get possessed by things religiously, even things which are not demons. People's idols really do take possession of them. We, we go back to that last story. And King Joash, he seems to be a pretty upstanding guy until the priest Jehoiada dies. And you look at that and you see how he has that shift in his life. And all those that conspire with him to kill Zechariah, they really, I mean, most of these people were probably back when they were fearing God, pretty rational and would have not thought that it was okay to kill your friend's son. <laughs> but once they start to be possessed by their idols, once they start to, to do that, and even when things that they can see that are rationally true, when even they, they know that it's not good to kill him, their possession by their idol is so much more powerful that they bring themselves to the point of murdering, again, you know, your friend's son, and just doing it, and suddenly that's okay because that's how I do away with the threat. That's how I get back to having the life that I want to live. My vision of the world is, is being carried out. Anthony? Well, I think it is pretty interesting that um, whenever the man who is being a prophet to him, which he may have been a priest, but by prophet I just mean someone who speaks uh, the words of God, um, whenever it was, is it, is it Je Jehoiada? Yeah. He's the father. Um, whenever Jehoiada dies, yeah, King Joash takes on a totally different uh, persona. Yep. And I, 
I feel I feel like most of the time in people's lives, whenever you see things like this happen, or you see the reverse happen, it's because the prophet, a different prophet came. And so maybe a prophet of Baal or Asherah came to King Joash and won favor in his eyes and well, things of that nature. Literally, that's what the text says. It says, you know, they come. They, these people, they come to him and they pay him homage. And yeah, he likes exactly, the homage yeah. that they give. They like that. It's what he was wanting. He's the king. And when they come and they, they do this for him, and it says the officials of Judah, that's in Second Chronicles 24, verse 17. You know, the officials, the other noble, noble people, the, the royal people, they come in and they, they, you know, they butter him up. They tell him the things he wants to hear. And he's like, okay, I'm going to give up on Yahweh now. We're going to get into to bed with all these idols, and we'll kill one of my friend's sons. Yeah, like that sounds great. Like That's what possession really does look like. It turns you from someone who, who is living faithfully, which is what happened there with, with Joash, and it turns you into someone who says, yeah, okay, let's, let's kill Zachariah. Yeah, I, I think good. this prophet speaks a lot to um, the way people are. Yeah. Uh, it's not a very reasonable thing to adopt a totally different set of values and be willing to kill the son of the man that uh you respected <laughs> that's not a reasonable thing at all no that's an extreme and that it came from other prophets yeah. uh is an extremely religious ordeal and i think it also speaks to uh the important the importance of prophets and people who um bring messages yeah. from god and i that's part of the christian faith that is extremely important is being the mouth the mouthpiece of god and not being afraid to stand by his word, which is something actually that we spoke of in and, the next passage. Not, so that's not surprisingly being connected. A, not being a mouthpiece for, for something else, even your own desire. Pastor Mike? Well, I think, you know, obviously if we look to the Matthew passage where we look at, you know, um, what's going on in secret or dark, um, anytime someone offers special knowledge or, or secret knowledge and uh, <clears throat> special favor of some kind that is not to be, you know, uh, widely known. The thing about the gospel is Jesus, he says, you know, what What I tell you here, tell it in the light. Whatever I tell you behind closed door, tell it. He is, he is the same, uh, you know, yesterday, today, and forever, but he's the same in, up on the mountain as he is down there. Yeah, he doesn't have valley. a different set of rules. Right, and so and yeah. even in the, the Old Testament passages uh, or, or any of these things where we see the possession going on, there is that secret darkness uh, that is different from that in the light. Yeah, Christ is not one who says, okay, these people live by this set of rules, but these people, you know, they're treated differently. We're going to give a different set of rules. And then, no, with Christ, Christ comes and says, you all are sinners. You've all been separated by God. You all need forgiveness and transformation. That, that is the heart of the gospel message. And there is a glorious prosperity that comes with that. Now, I'm not saying it's pie in the sky. I'm not Pat Robertson over here <laughs> telling you that everything is going to, to be okay when you, you give things over because the gospel doesn't tell us that. It tells us that we will get the joy unspeakable and filled with glory. When the abundant life? And yeah, the, the life in life abundantly. This is what Christ wants us to have. But it does come in the midst of conflict between good and evil, life and death. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of suffering that is had in the kingdom. But the vindication and the justice of God always moves people to that, that life that is eternal, that has a reward beyond what we can imagine here. And it's not that you're just looking forward to heaven and this is a transactional process where you're, you're like Job there and Satan is correct and saying you're only good because God gives you good things. No, it's this idea that life in the kingdom is life. It's a full society. There's victories to be had, battles to fight. And there's a God 
who is a loving God who blesses us. Any final thoughts before we close? We're good? Well, with that, we hope that you enjoyed this program. Go out and check out our different pages. we got a, a website up there. We're trying to get some articles and things up there to read. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and have our podcast. Take it with you. Download it. SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different places. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.